in January, I was in Manchester for a meeting. And I happened to bump into some of my old friends that I'd been at college with. Maybe it wasn't so much of a happened to bump into. It was actually within the old college that my meeting was taking place, the place that I'd trained for the ministry. And we told stories, stories of our family, of where we were and what had happened in our time of ministry. And as I shared what was happening in my life, I explained that I had been called here to Lindfield. And that was coming in the spring. And that I'd be here for Easter. And that I would be inducted the day before Palm Sunday. And they said to me, not for the first time, you are a fool. <laughs> or worse to that extent. They said I was a fool for coming at the busiest time of the year. Not a fool for coming to this church, <laughs> but a fool for coming at Easter. You know, I should have kept my head down and waited a couple of weeks, you know, and come after the busy time. Used Easter holidays, not half term to move. And then... I would have a nice, easy life and have loads of time until Christmas, <laughs> you know, just to get to know everything. But no, I challenge them. Keeping one's head down and being in ministry are two incompatible things. We as ministers are called to stick our heads up whatever the challenge and to face the time of trial in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember the words that Nicola, our synod moderator, shared yesterday, all Christians are called to be ministers of God's love, she said. That means you're ministers too. And you have to stick your heads up and do what you're called to do. We must engage rather than avoid. Today, Jesus, we hear, is not keeping his head down, is he? He's fully out there, entering not silently into the city, but with a triumphant process, the crowds cheering, the waving of the palms. Everybody can see that something is happening. A change is coming. There has been a time in ministry where Jesus has stayed away from Jerusalem. There's been a time when he's not been able to go into the towns. There's been a time when after miracles or when people have proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, he has said, 
tell anyone. Now, of course, if you'd been healed and told, don't tell anyone, you probably would still have told people, and people would have known. And so that, shh, don't tell anyone, didn't quite always work. And people told. But today, sometimes, people think that shh, don't tell anyone still applies. Their faith is a personal faith. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also a personal faith in they keep it to themselves. They don't tell anyone. They don't proclaim the faith. They don't tell anyone about the ability of the Lord to change lives and save them from their sin. When the challenge is there before them, they turn away. They don't speak the gospel. Rather than as what we were thinking of on Thursday night at prayers, running the race before us, they turn and maybe not run, but walk the other way. They seek a sit-down and a cup of tea and take the attitude that people can get on with their life without us doing anything. But being a Christian is not taking the easy life. I enjoy a nice sit-down and a cup of tea or coffee. Preferably a mug, actually, not a cup. But I like that, but not as a means of avoiding what we're called to be doing. Many still wait in silence. And they don't realize that the time of the shh, don't tell anyone, is over. And it was over on that Palm Sunday. The crowds were cheering. And it was over on Easter Sunday when the glory of the Lord was seen and he rose triumphant. And it was certainly over by Pentecost when the Spirit came and equipped the church. The time of action is here, and it's been here for nearly 2,000 years. Well, some of you might be saying, the thought of running a race just leaves me breathless. You know, there might be others among you that can run marathons. But just the thought of doing something that, oh, no. Perhaps one some might have run a race, but I'm a bit past it now. Might be another thought you have. Maybe just getting out of bed in the morning can be a struggle. 
but that does not get you off the hook. Young or old, in full strength or feeling weak, we can play our part. Yesterday, promises were made not just by me, but also by you, by this church. And I need you to keep your promise. I need you to be praying for me as your minister. I need you to be praying for the life of this church and for this community that we live in. When you see good news in the notice sheet, as David showed you, don't just take it as a list of things that are on, something to read and put aside. Use it along with the prayer diary as a marker of things that are happening that week. It might be things that you're not going to, but pray for the things as they come up. Not everybody is maybe able to go to engine room on a Monday morning, but you can pray for it. It's the Easter break, so some things are not running. But Art Club and Boys Brigade, you can pray for them, maybe even at the time that they're happening. On a Tuesday, we've got stepping stones, and we can be praying for those families, those parents and grandparents, to be taking the first step, to step closer to God, to go on a journey, and so on through the whole week. Each day, each and every week, pray for the coming of the kingdom in this place, and that we might be seen to do God's work. In today's passage, Jesus is not hidden. He is center stage. And today he will be seen and heard. And as the Passover approaches, it's the right time for the message of the king's coming to be proclaimed. We discover that this week, this time of festivity will be like no other that has gone before it. Because Jesus the Christ has come. And as we ourselves enter Holy Week, remember that Christ is in the city. Christ is in the village. His presence is with us. And so as we've been thinking about at Lent, he changes how things can be viewed. We must see things differently. The people of Jerusalem saw that things would be very different. And so they do something different for this festival. They take and wave palm branches. Now, of course, theologians differ in whether they actually went to the trees 
and cut them off there and then, or whether these were branches already in the homes because palm branches were waved at different times of the year and might have been kept for that occasion. But whichever it was, it doesn't matter. Because what does matter is that they wave them today. They wouldn't normally have had them during the week of the Passover. But they get them, and they praise the king with them. Tradition establishes a pattern of life in a city like Jerusalem or a village like Lindfield. There's a village day here in May. But I suspect that it does not culminate with a procession along the street under a bonfire. That happens in November. And when the church does dish out hundreds of hot chocolates to the bonfire procession, the garage of Rycroft is not being the Bethlehem stable. That's for another month later. We keep our festivities apart. They have their own traditions, and we don't expect them all muddled up. But on Palm Sunday, that's what happens. Because the waving of palms, although a regular celebration, an annual event, was not done Passover. It was done in the winter, in what is now Hanukkah. And it's remembered the great triumph and Judas Maccabeus defeating the pagans and then cleansing the temple, something that we hear of happening next in Holy Week. Now the rightful king is entering. The king that is over all kings comes into the city. And the people take those palm branches not in remembrance of something that happened over a hundred years ago, but of something that is very current, something that is happening that day, that the Lord is among them. And Jesus accepts this celebration. He welcomes it. And he is the king that is entering the city. But Jesus is a new form of king. A king that does not ride on the triumphant war horse. That does not dress up in armor. That does not need a sword at his side made of metal. Jesus rides the donkey, an animal of peace, a simple beast of burden. And it reflects the message of peace that the people would have known from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous, victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, 
called the fall of a donkey. In the meantime, the disciples are happy. The crowd shouts. The children sing his praise. And in Luke's gospel, we're told by Jesus that where these people silenced, then even the rocks would have cried out in celebration. The name of the Lord is blessed. And later that week, as the crowds turn away from the Lord, he will do what he has to to respond to that call of Hosanna, save us. He will save his people or give at least the means that we can be saved. In the week ahead, Jesus is betrayed, rejected. He's falsely accused and subject to an unjust trial. He's whipped and he is beaten and forced to carry his cross and suffers the criminal's death. Again, in the full sight of the public. How different the Friday is from today. As we move through this week, we need to think about whether we carry on praising, we carry on declaring him Lord of our lives, saying that he is the rightful king, the one we will worship, the one worthy to be bowed down to, worthy to be followed, worthy to be obeyed. Think whether you will praise Jesus with your song, with your words, with your prayers. Think about whether you will praise him with your life, Or whether the things you do and the things you say and the things you sing and the things you shout will change your voice from Hosanna to crucify. We are fallen people. But in love, Christ came to be our king, to save us from the sin that we do. So let us honor him. Don't keep your head down, but stand tall and proclaim the love of God. Amen.